Thank you for listening to Combat Zone 360. This is the second part of our interview with Marvin. What's your um, religious background? I'm Jewish. You're Jewish. Yeah. So here we are in World War II yeah. fighting the, the Germans. Yeah. And you're Jewish yeah. when the whole war was set on that, like a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Now... Were you ever worried about with the concentration camps happening, you getting mixed well, up with I that? Knew, or? I knew it was not a good thing to be Jewish at that time and yeah. that place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what I did was uh, while we were walking, I unhooked my dog tags and dropped them out of the side of the road. And uh, uh, we walked quite a distance uh, to, uh, it was a, a barn where we were going to be interrogated by a German officer. And he interrogated us and uh, what I didn't realize was that I had my paybook in my pocket. And the paybook also, you know, the dog tags had a H stamped on it for Hebrew. And uh. the paybook also had an H in there uh, to identify. Uh, and I didn't know that. And then when I got to this, uh, I mean, we got to this barn-like place and we were searched and uh, they took everything, uh, personal items, and they took this paybook. And uh, I didn't even know they had taken the paybook out of my pocket until I was interrogated. And when I was interrogated and I got up uh, uh, facing this uh, German officer, and I, uh, anyway, that was another experience, <laughs> uh, which uh, I was also very lucky, because uh, during the interrogation, he was asking me questions that I really couldn't answer, even though I just didn't know. Wow. I'm like, uh, who was the commander of the tank battalion that accompanied you? I didn't know. He said, who is your commanding general? I didn't know that at the time. Yes, uh, several questions like that that I had no knowledge of. And then he got very angry and he started to shout at me. And uh, he said, uh, I remember the German words he used, he called me a a Juden which I didn't know what it meant at the time, but later on there was some of the cursing Jewish. And then in English, she says, you're a Jew. And I said, yes. He, and then I noticed my paybook on the, his desk. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so that's how he found out. Uh, but anyway, he got very angry and he was screaming at me and he got a Luger on the desk, I remember that, and he picked up a Luger. I thought he was gonna shoot me, but, uh, 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 the interrogation room was up in the uh, hayloft and it was a flight of stairs to get to this hayloft and he pushed me toward the door and he pushed me down the, the steps and I rolled down this flight of steps so I was not hurt at all yet, but I was relieved actually that I was still alive. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And so that was the only experience I had 
as, as uh, for being a Jew as in the POW. Uh, the rest of the time, they couldn't care less. Really? Yeah. So they, when they interrogated you, did they physically do anything to you, or was it just yelling at you and That's asking it. you no, questions? No, didn't do anything to you. Wow. Just screaming at you. Yeah. Okay. But I think I was very fortunate at the time because uh, we were winning the war. Yeah. And the Germans were not as uh, vicious and, and, and uh, uh, terrible as they were when they were ahead. I mean, they were aware that uh, they were losing. That. I think that's that's my take on it. Yeah. Because even in the camps, uh, in the I was in a prison camp and I was in a labor camp, and uh, the the guards. Well, actually, the guards weren't even German. The guards were recruited from Austria and Poland and other countries. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they weren't really mean to you guys either? They no, just... no, they uh, all wanted to practice their English. <laughs> <laughs> we'll use our prisoners to practice yeah. our English. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is funny. Yeah. Wow. So it really wasn't too bad. The only problem was that, well, I had two problems. One is that I was starving us. Ah, okay. So when I got back to the American Lions, uh, I weighed 80 pounds. Wow. And I had, uh, uh, what do you call it? This? I can't remember the name of the disease I had, but I was in very bad shape. Okay. Uh, and uh, I would also, uh, my leg wound had gotten infected. Okay. So I had gangrene. And I had a swelling uh, under my armpit, in my armpit, and in my groin, it was like size of a baseball. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but I was feverish. <clears throat> but when I got into the uh, uh, American, uh, it was a battalion aid station, I think it was, okay. and uh, they gave me penicillin. And that really uh, took care of the infection and it saved my life, yeah. It saved my leg and it saved my life. Yeah. So yeah. When, when you did go back to the United States side of the house, mm -hmm. over back to the front line and to the aid station, how did that happen? Did they come in and rescue you guys or oh, did they oh. let you guys go? <laughs> no, that's how did a, that whole thing just come about? <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> No, when uh, we were captured, we, we joined a group of other POWs and uh, it joined a long line of POWs that they were marching us into Germany. And uh, the, they marched us at night because during the day, uh, we were being, you know, the Americans were strafing everything that moved. Yeah. So they couldn't travel during the day and they didn't want us to. So we traveled at night and there were country roads and there were winding roads. And the guards were placed about 20 to 30 feet apart. And uh, as I said, the guards weren't even German. They were mostly Polish you know, and Austrian. Uh, but I, my, my leg was hurting and I thought I, I really have to get 
away from them before we get too far into Germany. And I realized that uh, the guards were 20 or 30 feet apart, and it's a country road, and it's a winding road, and if you walk around a winding road, and you stand be, you're walking behind a guard, the next guard, 20 to 30 feet, won't see you. Yeah. So you can just drop into the brush side of the road, wait till they passed, and then go the other way. And that's what I did. Oh, so you escaped. <laughs> Three times. Three times. <laughs> Which means I was not very good yeah. <laughs> at escaping. Oh, wow. And the first time I was with it, walking next, alongside a guy, I remember he was from New Jersey and he had a clean uniform, so I, I figured he hadn't been in combat too, too long. Yeah. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm going to be taking you off. I just want you to know. I said, I'm going to, when next time we get to a curve, I'm going to drop into the brush and wait until the column passes and then walk the other way. He said, oh yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. I said, okay. So, <laughs> so that's what we did. Yeah. We dropped into the brush, except that he misunderstood what I said. And he started to run, it was up an embankment. And uh, I, I saw him run, so I followed him. Uh, went up to the top of the hill and there was a field that we saw. <laughs> we, I remember we turned toward each other and we clanged helmets. It was a big, like a church felt the noise. And we, we decided we can't go back, we better have run. So we ran across the field and we just kept running and running. And I guess they weren't going to chase us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we kept going. And then um, I decided that well, he, he was rather new. I already had a lot of combat experience. So and uh, anyway, I told him, I said, listen, we have to... Uh, uh, move toward gunfire because that's the only way we know where the Americans lie with a small arms fire and we heard a fire uh, small and that's uh, the direction we went in and then all of a sudden we're getting shelled American shells oh. are coming toward us and uh, it was really devastating I mean they weren't too far away from us and I told him, I said, listen, the only thing we can do is run toward the, the uh, artillery because you have to get under, uh, you know, the uh, uh, trajectory. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, the shell is going to hit and, and uh, the shrapnel from the shell is, shell is going in that direction. So uh, he said, let's go. And I started to run. <laughs> and I, he ran a, a short distance and I looked around and he's not there. I, I saw he hit the ground, and I ran back, and I said, what's the matter? He said, I can't do it, I can't do it, He's, I'm too scared. He said, I, let's go back, let's go back, I want to go back. And I, so, anyway, I told him I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I said, you, you go back, and I kept, I kept going. So I, I kept going, and uh, again, we had to travel at night, uh, I had to travel at night. You can't be moving around there during the day. Yeah. And they're looking for a place to hide during the day. Uh, and I came across a, uh, a barn, and uh, it was a, uh, 
a cow, they had cows in there, and then a little stack, a very, very big stack of hay. And I'm was familiar with a farm because when I was a kid, my parents took a place on a farm, you know, to get out of the city. So anyway, there was a stack of hay, and I figured, well, I crawled into the hay and just fell asleep. I was exhausted. Next thing I know, I'm being poked by a bayonet. Oh my and, God. Uh, I hear voices and noise, and, and it turns out that there was a woman, mostly women, all the men, you know, were in the military. A whole group of women gathered, and there was a uniformed German who had a rifle with a bayonet, and he was motioning for me to come with him. And apparently she came in there to feed the cows, and she uncovered me. Oh! <laughs> so, anyway, he took me to his headquarters in the town, and they couldn't hardly be bothered with me because they were all they were burning papers, they were all dumping drawers and, and big ash cans, and getting ready to leave, to, yeah. to withdraw. The Americans apparently were very close. So, uh, a German officer interviewed me. He, I said, "Listen," I said, "I was a." prisoner of war and I, I got lost and I'm trying to find my way back to the group and, and, and but <laughs> he also looked at my pockets and on the way I had in going across these farmland fields I picked up potatoes and turnips and put them in my pocket you know because we had no food and he saw that what I had in my pockets and he said listen he said you better not do this again <laughs> I said, okay, and he put me with another group of uh, uh, American POWs, uh -huh. and, uh, and that's where I was taken to a labor camp. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, a labor camp it was in a small farming town, and we were housed in what was once a one-room schoolhouse. Uh, and the upstairs of this schoolhouse was, uh, anyway, uh, was a flat area, and we just slept on the floor, and that's where there were about 20, uh, 30 of us there. And our job was to chop wood. Uh, we sliced trees and sliced logs and chopped up these slices into chips. And uh, the chips were being used as fuel for uh, German trucks. Okay. I don't know if you ever seen that. I've never seen it. No. Uh, one, the truck would come by, and it had a burner alongside the the, the cabin, and in the back, the truck had room for all these chips of wood, and they burned the wood that created some kind of gas that ran the truck. Oh wow. And I never. Why can't we do that now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Wow. There was one time where I saw in a magazine somewhere this device and this fuel. Otherwise, I never heard of it since then. But anyway, that's what we did. <clears throat> and. Uh, then there came a time again where the Americans were advancing, and so they mar were marching us north. Uh, and 
so I had another opportunity because they were marching us uh, through country roads at night and uh, the same thing happened. I was walking alongside a guy, uh, he was a tall guy I remember from Texas, and I told him what I was going to do. He says, oh, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Did you say the last guy? <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so we, uh, we did it. And this time he did what I suggested. We just stayed in the brush alongside the road till the whole column passed. And then we started to walk the other way. Uh, and then... The next thing we had to do was find a place to hide during the day so we can keep walking at night. And uh, uh, that was, he also I don't think had been in combat very long because we were walking, uh, actually we were walking along a road at one point and we heard a car coming. So he gets up on the road and he starts waving. And I, I couldn't believe it. We're in Germany, so I grabbed him. I grabbed him and yanked him off on the side of the road. And sure enough, it was a German vehicle with Germans in it. it came by. So anyway, we uh, approached. It was getting dawn, and we approached a, a town. And the town was pretty much bombed out town, but it seemed like a kind of an affluent community because the houses that were bombed down, it was residential. I don't even know why they bombed it. Yeah. But just about every house was, was flattened and there were stone houses because there were piles of stone. Mm -hmm. And so we came into the town at night and uh, I mean, it was getting toward dawn. <clears throat> and uh, there was uh, one house, it was just a pile of rubble really, but it was surrounded by a an iron gate and the gate was closed with a wire. We unhooked the wire, opened the door, went into the house, we made our way into the basement, believe it or not. Uh, the rest of the house was just rubble, but the basement was intact. Wow. <laughs> and we went down the basement and we went to sleep in the basement. Next thing we know, again, we're being poked by, with bayonets. <laughs> it turns out that uh, we just didn't re-tie uh, uh, the wire on the, on the gate, and apparently the owner of the home came by and saw the gate was not uh, wired shut, and he went into the house and saw us, and he called on a group uh, that were called the Volkstrom, uh, it's a group of Germans, elderly Germans, who were assigned uh, to guard the town. Uh, Volks from, I guess, there's a people's army. You know. yeah. Anyway, they, they were in World War I uniforms. So a couple of them had these pointed helmets, you know, the, the point on top. They had rifles from World War One. They told us, they got us out of the house and marched us into town there was along a street and then they were chatting and chatting and we get the impression that they were going to shoot us. Uh, and uh, sure enough, uh, they, they brought us to a courtyard and we gathered from whatever German we can understand that they were 
putting together a firing squad. Oh my goodness. And uh, they put us up against a wall and they looked like they were getting ready to form a squad and shoot us. And, and just then a German officer happened to be walking by and he asked about all the commotion. And they told him that they uh, caught two spies and they were going to execute them. And uh, the Germans said, told them that they can't do that. They, we have to be interrogated. He has to take us for interrogation. Uh, so anyway, the, it turned out that this German officer, it seems like most of the German officers spoke English. Oh, okay. And, but he spoke English very well. And as he took us with him, he said, you guys are very lucky I came by. He said, these guys are crazy. They would have, they would have shot you. Huh. He said, so anyway, he took us to his headquarters, which was a dugout not far from there. And they apparently were also ready to leave. And they put us with another group, recently captured Americans. And again, we were put with this group and marched farther into <laughs> wow. So that was uh, the second time. The third time I actually got away. <laughs> third time's a charm. <laughs> wow. And, and you did it the same way? The same way, but it was a different circumstance. Uh, uh, this time they were taking us to a uh, Stalag uh, prison camp. Okay. And at uh, this time, my leg was really bad, and I was feverish, and I was not in very good shape. But we didn't have far to walk. But they put us there, and uh, the uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the forty and eight cars. They uh, that the the you see it on television a lot, uh, in the movie films a lot. These are the freight cars that they use to transport the Jews to the. Uh, uh, camps. Uh, okay. Yeah, and uh, they they were called forty and eights because they had in they were. I remember it was in German or French. It said uh, forty horses, a, a no forty men, eight horses or eight horses. So that you can put uh, eight horses or forty men in wow. each car. They're like freight cars, railroad cars. So they put us. In the cars, we were going to a Stalag, a prison camp. <clears throat> then we get in these cars, and they packed us in so tight you couldn't, you had to stand, and it was hot. It was winter, but it was hot and sweaty. The guys were passing out, and, and they uh, actually we were being strafed in the, uh, by, uh, there were P-47s, there were two P-47s came, and they were strafing the railroad cars, so the railroad cars were moving, and it was during the day. So, anyway, a couple of guys in our car got hit, but uh, uh, we tried to open the doors, we couldn't open the doors, they were locked. The trains then screeched to a halt, and the doors opened, and they let us all run out, and it turned out that a couple of the American GIs were running the show, and they 
or getting us to take off our shirts, bend over to show our backs, hold each other by, by the back and form a line and uh, form the letters P-O-W. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was very clever because it worked. Yeah. And, and actually there was a picture of this and I don't know, they still have the Stars and Stripes paper. They do. Yeah, it, and those days there was a picture of it. Of course, the P-47s, they swooped down and apparently they took a picture, but they tipped their wings and they left. So it worked. Wow. Uh, but a couple of guys got hit and uh, they were in bed. So they were moved to the last car and we continued on to uh, prison camp. The prison camp was in Limburg, Germany. It was Stalag 12A. And uh, so I was in, in there. Uh, there also, by the way, all this time we're not being fed, you know. Wow. Yeah. And even in this prison camp, you were, it was the same uh, diet. We fed once a day, usually about two o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, it would be a cup of watery soup and two slices of bread. And that was the ration for the whole day. So. Uh, Anyway, it was starvation uh, feeding. So uh, that was the worst of the prison of war experience. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But I was only there, uh, how much more time do you have? No, we're, we're good. You're good? Please okay. keep going. We'll break it down into multiple episodes. <laughs> anyway, I wasn't there very long, maybe a few weeks. And uh, they started to move us out because the Americans were approaching. And so again, they formed a long line uh, and uh, uh, marched us. Uh, again, it was country roads and the winding roads. And uh, I was with a guy, I said, listen, I'm next opportunity, I'm going to be taking off. I'm going to drop into the brush. <laughs> and uh, this guy said, good luck. He wasn't going. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> so, anyway, this time I did it on my own. Uh, and uh, they all left, and I started to walk in the other way, other direction, but uh, there were no sounds of gunfire to guide me, and I didn't know where I was. So I remembered my... Uh, high school astronomy class, look for the Big Dipper, look for the North Star, and try to figure out how I can go south. I want to go south. So I keep the North Star behind me and think I was going south, except that three hours later, I came back to the same spot. That was in, so oh. I, was, I was lost. Anyway, uh, I was drinking water from uh, uh, irrigation ditches, uh, I found some feed, it was a, a cow feed or hog feed, I don't know, but there were bins of feed in a barn that I came across, and I mixed that with a little water and gulped it down, it tasted like a, a cereal. Wow. <laughs> Actually, it's tasteless, but I had to get something in my stomach. Yeah. That's I was in pretty bad shape. Uh, anyway, I was approaching 
what looked like it might have been a town. And uh, I saw there was a building and uh, I was, all of a sudden I looked down the road and there was uh, somebody standing in front of the building and pointing toward me. So I stopped and I froze and he motioned to somebody else and also pointed in my direction and telling the other person that probably saw me. So I didn't duck into the woods, I just stood there and both of them just left. So I went to the, into the side of the road, sat down in the brush and waited. I didn't know what to do, but it was getting dawn and the sun was coming up and I figured I had to do something. So I walked toward the town and there was, got to the first building and opened the door, door uh, and looking for a basement to get mm -hmm. into. And too high for the, uh, the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get into the door and then there's another door that looked like it might be leading into a basement. So I tried the door, but it's locked. And uh, just then, I, I guess I made a little noise. There's a, a flight of stairs to my right and a woman came out on top of the stairs and asked who I was. And I remember she says, Polski, uh, Ruski. You know, she spoke German and uh, I, say, I said, American. She said, oh, oh, American, American. She got all excited. And then she called some neighbors out and there were about three or four women. They were talking to each other in German. I don't know what they were talking about. But she came down with a, a whole ring of keys. She opened the door to the basement. She pushed me inside. There was a little landing and three steps <coughs> going down. And then she locked the door behind me. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that point, I, then I saw a bed. It was a single cot. It was actually just a bed spring, no mattress. But I just lay down on that and I just went to sleep. Next thing I know, as I hear keys rattling, the doors open, this woman opened the door, she called me over, she put her arm around me, and she was very, treated me like a long lost relative, and she brought me upstairs to her apartment, and she brought me a big bowl of food, wow. and she asked me if I'd like to take a shower. It's all in German, but I, sort of understood what she was talking and like I was a long lost relative. And uh, I was there for about three days and uh, it was a family. They had a little boy, he must have been nine or 10 years old. And uh, he was a real curious and wanted to talk to me about uh, armament. He was very interested in tanks and guns and uh, planes. and. and uh, I remember they, they seemed to be very happy I was there. Uh, and it was confusing to me. <laughs> <coughs> but uh, I found out later that the reason that she brought me up and so ha happy to have me there was that there was a, uh, an American uh, uh, armored patrol that passed under the window uh, that uh, that day or the day before. And uh, she said she 
took a, pill, a white pillowcase and waved it out the window to show that she surrendered. And then there were no Americans that came since then. So I guess that she was holding me <laughs> locked up in case the Germans came back or, or the Americans came back anyway. I, I guess I was a bargaining chip. <laughs> but the interesting thing, you talk about timing and chance, that this, uh, her apartment was above a one-room schoolhouse. Mm -hmm. And she said that there was an SS headquarters was in the uh, ground floor, and they had just left it's about two hours before I came. Wow. So, can you imagine if I got there and went, the SS, I'm sure they would have shot me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they were brutal. Wow. So she was very happy that I was there. Uh, and uh, I was there for about three, three or four days, and then another armored patrol came by and uh, uh, she waved to them out the window and I went outside and I spoke to the uh, uh, commander and uh, told him the story and he assigned a jeep to take me to uh, a uh, battalion aid station uh, where they uh, uh, treated me and then they sent me from there to a hospital in Paris. They flew me to a wow. hospital in Paris and uh, I weighed 80 pounds. Uh, I had uh, dysentery, not dys I didn't have dysentery, I had, uh, uh, what is that infection I just mentioned? Uh, the, uh, you had gangrene. Yeah, gangrene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had gangrene. <laughs> the penicillin, uh, you know, it knocked it out in wow. a few days. I was in the hospital a long time. Uh, oh my goodness, and then from there you came home? Uh, yeah, from, I was in Paris, I don't remember how long, I was in Paris during VE day, I remember, because I think it was May 8th, May 8th, I was in the hospital in Paris, but uh, uh, I was able to walk out, I went into the streets, and they were celebrating, and you know how the French celebrate, and it was so noisy, I went back to the hospital nice and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> then they flew me from Paris to Halloran Hospital in Manhattan. Oh, wow. Actually, it was a Staten Island. Yeah. Halloran Hospital, Staten Island. And I was there for quite a while. Yeah. So I was a mess when I got back. Yes, I, I, I can <laughs> see that. But you have been through yeah. things that people can only dream of in their nightmares. <laughs> well, no, that's yeah. crazy. <clears throat> I was 18 and 19 years old, and uh, I, at that age, I mean, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, you can. Your body recovers a little quicker yeah. than it does nowadays. Yeah, it's amazing what the body can tolerate oh, with, yeah. they, when you're young. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Now, when you ended up healing 100%, what did you end up doing with the rest of your life? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got married, um, and uh, my wife's father had two drugstores, wanted me to get into the drug business, and I worked for him for several months. 
and he was hoping I would get into the business, but I just didn't care for it. Didn't care for it. And I told my wife I wanted to go back to school, and she was very supportive. So I went back to school, and I went back. I was in Brooklyn College. I got my BA degree, Brooklyn College. Then I didn't know what to do with myself, so I went to graduate school. Uh, in a graduate school in social work. I had no money at all, so I went to the school who offered me a uh, assistantship, which meant that uh, free tuition and <coughs> a, uh, uh, I think it was like 20 or $30 a month uh, if I would uh, spend a certain number of hours helping one of their professors as an assistant to one of their professors. Okay. So I did. I took that, and uh, my, I had a baby by that time. He was one year old, a child, son. And uh, my wife and I and my son, we went down there, and uh, we had, it was, uh, how they had housing that was left over from the military. There were uh, barracks converted into apartments. So we had a two-bedroom home, it was like a barracks converted into a two-bedroom home. It was wonderful. Wow. And my wife got a job uh, in the art department as a secretary or something, and I was school full-time, and she worked full-time. We had somebody taking care of the kid. It was, it was nice. It was two years. I spent two years, and I got a master's degree in social work. And uh, then I came back to New York and I worked in several agencies. I worked for the state, I worked for the federal government, working with drug addicts, I worked for uh, uh, aftercare, people who were hospitalized and uh, getting out to psych psychiatric facilities and uh, I would work with them. And uh, then I got a job with, uh, in the Jewish Board of Guardians and I uh, worked in a facility which housed uh, uh, youngsters, they were from the ages of uh, 19 and 21, uh, who had been institutionalized or had been incarcerated, you know, and this was like, like a halfway house. Mm -hmm. So I, I ran that, day. I was director of the halfway house, uh, so it was, became uh, from, uh, I, I got into administration, and then uh, I was very interested in uh, psychotherapy. I was doing a lot of counseling, and so I, I applied to a psychoanalytic institute to train, and they accepted me, and I spent uh, four years there, and that was four years. It was almost full-time and not full-time, and I got a... A certificate in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy and then I stayed another two years and I trained in group therapy <laughs> and then I, I really loved it and I did every aspect of it and then I did another two years and training at the, uh, in super, uh, supervision of a psychoanalytic process and uh, so I was heavily very heavily into it and I had a private practice for uh, it must have been 30 or 40 years. Uh, wow. In fact, I had an office in this building. <laughs> <coughs> That's wow. how I happened to be around when this apartment opened up. Yeah. But uh, I, had, I was very heavily into uh, doing therapy, group 
family, individual. That was the highlight of my life. I really enjoyed doing that. Yes, well, I appreciate you letting us know about your story. I mean, the story was amazing, had me intrigued the whole way through. I want to thank you for what you've done over all these years, not just in the military, but outside of the military. You know, and thank you very much. I want to thank you for doing what you're doing because you and Nick and Matt, I, I can't believe that you spend all this extra time that they don't have to do yes. helping veterans. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's all about veterans helping veterans yeah. within my eyes. And I know they're going above and beyond because they're not even in the veteran community. Yeah. But yeah. they support us 100%. I, yeah. Yes. I'm very impressed with them and with you right now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Combat Zone 360 and tune in next week for the next guest.